Welcome to CooperCast, Go Ask Al, episode number 15. This is your host, Al's oil filter, John Sachs. Al talks about what session musicians have most impressed him. He tells the Miles Davis story, seeing Super Session selling in a store, and about recording live. As always, after each of Al's answers, Nearly the Dog adds a brief comment. This is kind of an interesting question from T. Jeffries. Did you ever go into a studio gig or jam session and there was a musician you never heard of and when he or she started playing, it blew your mind? Oh, um, many times. Yeah, well, obviously it's going to start with Bloomfield, right? No, it started with um, the guys that were the studio guys in New York. Yeah, yeah. The drummer, the bass player, the keyboard player. Yeah. They were fantastic. Yeah. And they did blow my mind. Yeah. Every time they played. Yeah. And the same in uh, Los Angeles and Nashville. Yeah. Although I did get to play with the ones in Nashville because of Blonde on Blonde. Right. Mm. So, yeah, quite often. Any any other specific names that jump off? Yeah, whoever played on Blonde on Blonde. All those guys. Yeah, yeah. and um, in New York, Bernard Purdy, the drummer. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because in some cases, you brought the unknown, like, you would bring Harvey Brooks to a session, so you weren't mind-blown by Harvey Brooks because you practically grew up playing with him, right? Well, he was a good bass player, and he was my, you know, he moved a block from me. Right, right. It's pretty mind-boggling that he ended up playing with uh, Miles. Did he play with Miles? Yeah. I mean, that's that's like a real heavy-duty thing. I mean, it's one thing to play bass on a nice folk album, but to play with bass with Miles Davis means that you really, really have your chops together. Because Miles wouldn't, doesn't mess around. I know. All right, hang on a second. Did I ever tell you my Miles Davis story? Yeah, you thought he hated you. Or he did well, hate you. No, well, he did hate me. Yeah. But then he changed his mind. I think it's on one of them, but let's tell it again. Well, we didn't get along. Yeah. And it started in the studio. We were both on Columbia Records. Contractually, we had could only record in Columbia Studios. Mm. So he was on the sixth floor, I was on the second floor mm. recording. Mm. And I think Harvey was recording with him. Right, right. So I went to the second floor to, where they had machines so you could buy food. Yeah. And uh, I was buying some food and some girl was sitting there. I said, uh, are you on the session on the sixth floor? And she said, yes. And I said, um, uh, would you do me a favor? I said, my friend is working up there. Um, could you tell him that uh, Al Cooper is on the second floor and if he gets done uh, you know to come say hello if he has a chance right she said sure so about an hour later the um, 
custodian who is like an old doddering black man mm. comes over to me and he hands me this piece of paper this folded piece of paper and the outside in a ballpoint pen it says read this six times and I opened it up and it said don't you ever talk to my wife again Miles Davis I got a little scared yeah I, put, I was playing a gig at the Bitter End in New York mm. and uh, just finished playing a set and he walked in the dressing room and I, I said, this is it. Now he's going to kill me because mm -hmm. he heard me play. Right. And he walked right up to me and I, I swear my heart was beating a million times a minute. And he said... Uh, I enjoyed your show. And he shook my hand and he left. Yeah. And it took me a long time to stop shaking. Wow. I thought I was going to get the you-know-what kicked out of me. By the way, there's a historical picture, a news pho photograph, that shows Miles Davis, Miles Davis standing on this sidewalk in New York Oh, where he got beat up. Bleeding, where he got beat up by the police. Yeah. During an intermission from a concert at, I think, Carnegie Hall. Oh, I, I don't think it was Carnegie Hall. Something like that. It was a major concert by him, and he came out for a break. I think, I think it was a club in the village. It could have been that. That's what I think it was. And his, I think his name was on the marquee, and he came out for a cigarette break or something between sessions and he crossed paths with the police who beat him, you know, in the light of the George Floyd thing. It's pretty... Well, there were pictures of it. That's what was great. Right, right. Did I ever tell you the story of the first couple of days that Super Session came out? Yeah, I think... Um, you talked about being in a record shop and you just saw people buying it and you were like, wow. No, they also told me there. The manager yeah. told me. It was flying off the racks. I was very surprised. Yeah, but that's got to be a really good feeling to go in a oh, record yeah. store and see your Well, record. then it went in the top ten. Yeah. That uh, Unbelievable. Yeah. When you consider it was basically two nights in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> That's why Columbia put up with you for another, what, 10 years? Yeah, at least. <laughs> you can't mess with Al. He did Super Session. Well, the other one sold, too, the one with the Norman Rockwell cover. The Live, sure. Yeah. That's, you know, because I've talked to you about this a bunch of times, the fact that um, recording in studio is a process with often lots of layers like you'll add the vocals later and you'll do this and you'll do that and add maybe background singers it's very very sort of segmented together whereas playing live you're playing live it's just record it the best you can well it's not true because I, I edited you did yeah even the live records 
especially the linebacker. Somebody played a lousy solo and took it off. Could you do it? Could you separate it out? Sure, of course. Would you just cut it out or would you cut fade it? Out, it? Cut it out. You would just chop it, right, so it didn't exist. Okay. Splice. Splice it out, okay. Because you didn't have enough per-channel control to, to, to replace that solo with. Yes, I did. You did? Really? Yeah. How many, when you would do a live recording, let's say in the 80s, how many channels would you be recording? 24. 24, like in a van outside the building? Uh-huh. 24 tracks. Uh-huh. So everybody's mic yeah. and instrument is going to house sound, sound in the house, and also out the door into the 24 track. Uh-huh. Thank God I didn't have to deal with that. But the vocal mic yeah. for the singer is picking up everything to some extent. Mm-hmm. You can't, right? I mean, Yes, I, you can. You can turn off the vocal mic. Right, but when the when the vocal mic is on, yeah, it's but there's gonna... not not much improvisation going on when the vocal mic is on. Right. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. So mastering or well, editing editing a live thing is is tricky because you've got stuff coming. Uh, yeah, going. but it's important. Yeah. Okay. I was very good at it. Yeah. So that soul of a man. Everything is carefully edited by you. Yeah, right. but I mean, there wasn't wasn't that much to do. I was just listening to some of it last night because it's on the uh, box set I'm working on. Mm -hmm. I I heard an edit and I said that nobody will know that's an edit. Okay, but I heard the I heard the edit. <laughs> This has been Coopercast Go Ask Al, episode number 15, brought to you by Great Session Musicians. Look for more episodes coming up and subscribe at Apple, Spotify, or just about anywhere. And do tell your friends. Crap.